0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, we're going to talk about love languages, what they are, why they matter, and how we can best use them to show people we love them. Thanks so much for tuning in. So hey guys, as we get started, I want to use some of Gary Chapman's research, but I will be upfront with saying that Gary Chapman was the one who made the five love languages very visible to us, but there's many people who came before him and cited similar work and actually had it expanded out quite a ways, and Gary Chapman went out and made it a little bit more user-friendly a little bit more streamlined and then made a lot of money on it so what we're talking about here is not new by any means it's actually quite popular but it's not it's not really steeped in the work of gary chapman it far predates him but we're going to use his framework to talk about the love languages And I'm going to talk through several different pieces of it. First, I'm going to talk about what they are. I'm going to talk about why they matter, especially in the context of relationships and in uh, self-efficacy. And then I'm also going to add in several understandings of trauma, where I think it's not just conventional love languages that can help connect with someone, but there are additional things to consider if someone is trauma affected. So that's where we're going to camp out a little bit towards the end of the episode today. So let's get to the basics of what are the love languages. So usually we would talk about, about five love languages, and they include acts of service, quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, and receiving gifts. And each one of them, I think the the verbiage used really helps us understand what they are, but acts of service means I understand love best, and I understand you to be loving best when you come alongside of me and either help me through action, um, help me with action, do action for my betterment, for our betterment. That's what acts of service would look like. Quality time indicates that I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I want to You know, absorb time and space with you. And quality time actually is going to be different person to person. Like, does quality time mean we sit in a room together and we can both be on our phones? Well, for some people, physical presence might be enough to meet them in that space. For others, though, quality time might be uninterrupted. Phones are down, we're engaged in conversation, we're connecting in a more intimate space. You would have to speak to the person that you're trying to interact with and observe what quality time actually means for them. Words of affirmation. I wanna give a distinction at the front end here because I was gently redirected by a friend when I was speaking to the fact that I believe I am great at complimenting people. And he said, yes, but there's a difference between complimenting and affirming." And words of affirmation means who you are is okay. And I can look at you and I can love you in the space that you're in, and you're okay. It doesn't mean I don't call you to task or invite you into spaces of doing better, but words of affirmation are going to give you sound reassurance that your very being is fine in my presence. It's safe in my presence. I accept you as you are. I love you where you're at. Different from a compliment where a compliment is telling someone something that they're good at or something that you appreciate, often it's going to be action-based, something about a performance or something about an output. Affirmation says who you are at your core. I see that and I'm here for that. Physical touch is the fourth one. Physical touch, I think it's it's an explanation in and of itself, but it's important to understand that there are going to be some distinctions. Not necessarily gendered, but physical touch has to include not only sexual touches, if that's the relationship that's being talked about here, but non-sexual touches have to be a part of it as well. Meaning you're doing things like long hugs. Long hugs at the 30-second hug actually releases the neurotransmitter oxytocin for 30 seconds of hugging. That's a very cool payoff, and I highly encourage you to engage that, especially if someone is physical touch-oriented. Things like hand-holding, things like rubbing someone's back, things that are tactile that just say, I feel you, you feel me, and we are both benefiting from that. And maybe the person giving isn't benefiting, but if they understand that the person receiving benefits well, then perhaps they're motivated to engage physical touch more. The last one is actually my personal love language. And the other four, the other four are great. I think my secondary one is probably acts of service. I love words of affirmation. I love quality time. I like physical touch too. So they're all good. My personal one, number five here, is receives gifts. And this one to me, I I get a little cringy when I say to someone, uh, yep, my love language is to receive gifts. For me, it's not a matter of like ooh things someone is you know doting on me or someone is giving me things it's more of what's behind a gift so for me a gift says i was out somewhere you came to my mind when i saw this thing or or when i thought about you this thing came to mind i took the extra effort not just to think about you but i wanted to demonstrate to you that you're well thought of and so i got this and i'm giving it to you whether it's in a grand gesture whether it's in a you know just a gentle pass along whatever it is receiving gifts is this beautiful reminder that when I'm not in your presence, I still matter to you. And I think that, for me at least, that hits home so well. Because of some of my trauma history, I struggle with things like um, object permanence, and I struggle with things like um, scarcity. And so I worry when I'm not around those that love me, I worry, like, what's it all about? Are they even thinking about me? And those are just some wounds that I have to navigate. But gifts is one of those things that can um, it can recalibrate me into understanding, like, they see me, and even when I'm not around, they think of me. And so it, it gets kind of interesting to explain gift-giving as um, as my love language, but there's also another reason why that matters, why it matters that I identify that as my love language, and I'm going to share that in just a couple minutes here when we talk about the deficits when we don't get met in our love language. Where I start with clients, usually if we're doing anything uh, interpersonal, meaning it's, um, I'm working with a man who's trying to rekindle his marriage. I'm working with a woman who's trying to rekindle her marriage. I'm working with parents who are trying to meet their kids in a better relationship. I'm working with kids who want a better relationship with their parents. I will often pull in love languages pretty early in any of those contexts. And one of the reasons why is because one size fits all relationshiping just doesn't work. Love languages is a way to customize our understanding of how to meet a person in the space where they need to be met. So if there is discord in families, and let's say it's a family where there's four kids, and a parent is trying to um, parent as streamlined as possible and they decide that acts of service is the way to meet all of their kids. So they show up every day, they prepare the food, they pack the lunches, they provide the meals, they provide experiences. They're doting on their kids constantly. While that is so loving and so gracious... It's going to land really well with kids who are acts of service oriented and who feel safer when acts of services are extended towards them. But if the parent happens to also be like physical touch aversive or doesn't think about spending time in physical touch with their kids, or they don't think about taking extra time with uh, words of affirmation and like seeing their kids and observing who their kids are and joining their kids and things that are important to each individual one, the kids are going to experience it as a deficit even though mom or dad or caretaker is showing up with acts of service. So we actually get particularly sensitive when we are not met in the space that feels most natural to us. Because when someone knows our love language and meets us there, it says, I see you, I'm willing to meet you there. I'm going to show up for you in the way that you need it. This also matters in uh, intimate relationships. When, let's say, his is physical touch and hers is words of affirmation, if she's not getting words of affirmation, the probability of him getting consistent over time physical touch actually goes down because her needs aren't being met, therefore his needs are going to be less likely to be met. And it's this vicious cycle of, okay, if I like physical touch and I assume my partner likes physical touch, I'm going to invest time and energy there, but what if I'm investing time and energy in a space where they don't actually thrive, where they don't actually receive love in this particular way, as a primary support for them personally. We have to think through that. Where we put our energy is very important when it's in the context of a relationship. And so put it in the spaces where it's going to yield the most benefit. Put it towards what you know is effective for your partner. Learn to love your partner in an individualized way, in a customized way, even if it's not the same way that you receive love. When we're learning to self-advocate, I work with clients on trying to pinpoint what is their particular love language so that they can articulate that to those was who they love. So they can articulate that to themselves when they're being hypersensitive about a missed birthday or a missed intersection with someone where they were expecting quality time, or they didn't have physical touch uh, when they assumed they would get it, or they didn't have words of affirmation when they wanted to hear things that were calmly reassuring. I can meet clients in that space and say, of course you took that hard. This is the primary way you understand love. When you don't receive it that way, the world gets pretty confusing. You can take the test. There's plenty of online tests to figure out what you're love languages, but I would also encourage you to consider how do you tend to meet people. I know that gift-giving is my love language because that's the very way that I will extend myself towards others first. That's going to be my initial thing where if I think of you and I see a little trinket, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to send it along your way. Or if I'm thinking of you and I want you to tangibly know that you're in my thoughts, I'm going to take out a card and write something on it and send it your way because I want you to understand that while I wasn't with you, I was still thinking about you. So I know that I receive it well that way because that's also how I primarily give it. So as I go through new relationships or go through new friendships, I want to understand that my impulse is to give gifts, but someone might not need that particular piece for me. They might better like quality time. And so I'm actually going to have to cater to what the relationship needs and not what my default setting is. And that's what I would encourage us all to think through. Even though I give gifts well, is that what this relationship actually needs? I'm going to have to consider that if I want the relationship to grow well. There's another reason that I bring this up. So yes, love languages help us feel seen and valued and understood. But when we're not met in that space, it actually feels far more damaging than if something else is withheld from us. So if I'm a words of affirmation person and I'm not getting affirmed, that's going to land significantly more painfully than if someone withheld quality time for me. It's going to register more painfully if someone doesn't meet us in the space where we most need to be met. Now, I did see a quote that said there's a good chance that our love language actually comes from deficits that we experienced as a child. So perhaps there's wounding in one particular area and and we expect someone to love us well and to kind of help us heal in that area. I don't know how accurate that actually is. I do know in my own story that gift giving was something that I really struggled with in my upbringing. And so I'm curious if this is a correct assertion. But receiving gifts um, usually happens around birthdays, at least generally. And in my story, my birthday fell in the same week as the end of the school year almost every year. So it fell in with the big um, hullabaloo of school, and it didn't seem like there was a lot of space set aside to say, it's your birthday, let's take advantage of that, let's celebrate you. In, In the sequence of May and June, we have my dad's birthday, then we have Mother's Day, then we have my birthday, then we have Father's Day, then we have my mom's birthday. And in that time, it's May and June, which is incredibly hectic, and we have the end of the school year. So if I if I can be candid with what I experienced, I experienced getting lost in the shuffle. So there's a very good chance that that's what I experience if and when someone today forgets my birthday or overlooks me on my birthday or doesn't kind of meet me in the space of celebrating me on that day. I, I do get particularly sensitive because I've felt overlooked on that day quite often often in my story. And so it's important for me to say to someone who is a partner of mine, or who is part of my inner circle, hey, this is a big deal to me please don't pass through this day without acknowledging it because that feels particularly harmful for me. When we're deprived the expression of however we receive love, it can lead to more profound disappointment. It hurts worse when our needs are not met here. And that's why it matters learning the language of the people you love. Where do your kids experience more hurt if you forget to show up for them in the way that they need? If they need quality time and you focus on acts of service, you're missing them in the space that they need. If they are a physical touch person and you meet them with affirmations, while you're doing great things as parents, you're missing what they need. Same with your partners. If you are not being expressly intentional about meeting them with what they need, you're missing an opportunity to connect and to grow together, at least to some extent. Now, relationship is not all about the love languages, but I start with clients in this space because it's a good foundational piece to understand. Love should be customized. We should take the extra effort to learn about the preferences, the needs, the desires, of those that we're entrusted to love and we should learn to follow through on them and meet them in the space that the person is in. Not meet them in our own comfort zone. That just doesn't benefit the relationship all that well. Now there are several other things that I I mentioned and one of them is I want to talk about what it looks like when someone's brain is trauma affected. I think the birthday story from my end is part of my trauma affected history. It's part of that kind of pervasive sense of feeling overlooked and then birthdays are a reminder. And so I understand that a trauma-sensitive brain is going to receive things in a more intense way. So when the good is there, they receive it in a really intensely good way. When the good is withheld, it's received in a really intensely deficited way. I don't know if deficited is a word. I feel like I probably just made that up. I'm kind of okay with it though. Those deficits will be louder for us when they are withheld. And I want to add in two languages that I do believe if we talk through many people who are trauma affected, they would also concur. If I said two, I meant three. There are three other I would list. I think follow through and consistency is a primary love language of someone who's experienced trauma. People who say something and don't follow through on it, I believe we experience it as such a deficit emotionally because that reinforces our sense that the world is unsafe. The second love language I would add to a trauma brain is patience. Us being able to reconcile things over time at a process that works for us and people showing up with patience for that process, I think that is beautiful and restorative and I think impatience is so damaging and it will devastate relationships if someone is supposed to move at their partner's pace. And then the third thing is I believe generous assumptions are imperative. So I believe that we have to give others the benefit of the doubt. When I'm hanging out with someone, I am socially awkward as all get out. I say things bluntly, I don't intend to, but it just comes out in a very kind of matter of fact way. When people assume, that I'm ill-intentioned in that, I clam up and I stop expressing myself because I can assure you my intentions are not nefarious. I do not say things that are malicious. I do not say things to cause harm. But if someone assumes the worst about what I'm saying or assumes the worst about me, I go into protective mode very quickly. So giving the benefit of the doubt to someone with a trauma-affected brain, that is a beautiful way to speak the language that they need to show up well in the relationship. We're already thinking the worst about ourselves, about the situation, about the world around us. So any grace and space you can create for generous assumptions, you will meet someone in a space far more lovingly. And if you are not giving generous assumptions, if you are assuming the worst, there's going to be huge deficits that show up relationally, or someone will go ahead and suppress their needs, or they will go ahead and suppress their voice because there's not space created to err on the side of grace. So those are just some of the things I wanted to share today. If you are close with someone and you do not have any concept of love languages, I encourage you, take the quiz with your Take the quiz with them, start to communicate about what this might mean in your relationship, how you can meet one another better. If you are someone in trauma or someone who's experienced a history of trauma, and you don't know how to communicate your experiences yet, use some of this language. When you're discussing your needs with someone, talk to them not only about your primary love language, but talk to them about why follow through matters why consistency matters, why patience matters, why generous assumptions matters. We have to be able to communicate about us. We also, if we expect interpersonal relationships to go well, we have to work on meeting people in the space that they're in. I hope you find this helpful. If you're willing to share, that's always appreciated. I hope you guys have a good rest of your week and I will be back later with some more musings and thoughts. Hope you have a good one.